How many of you can think back and remember a time when you've hoped for something, you've hoped in something? Uh, maybe you've, you've thought that this new relationship that was coming um, where it was going to be, be fantastic and kind of be this relationship that left you feeling fulfilled and everything that you needed. Maybe you, you, you kind of had hope in a new job that was coming. And you thought this job would be, would change everything for you and suddenly life would feel like it was full of purpose and you'd have the money that you needed and everything would be taken care of. Maybe you had hope in a, uh, in a product you'd seen advertised. You saw this amazing advert on TV, this amazing advert on the internet and it said it was going to do this and that and be the next thing and, and you bought it and you had these hopes that it was going to be this fantastic thing. Only for two weeks into the relationship, or a few months into the job, or that instant when you open up the packaging of the thing that's arrived in the post, you realize that it's not all that you hoped it would be. And you end up disappointed. I imagine all of us have had one of those kind of moments, one of those experiences at some point. You know, Rosie and I had one of those moments um, a few years ago. Um, we, we'd booked a, a holiday, we'd seen advertised this amazing looking holiday park um, down near Brixham on, on the south coast of Devon. And, uh, and so we booked a short breakaway, just three nights. And um, Evan was three at the time, Simon wasn't even one yet. And, uh, but we'd, we kind of had these hopes of this being a time when we'd be able to go away and have loads of great fun as a family in the day. And then in the evening, um, Rosie and I would kind of have this cozy chalet for us to be able to have time together. Uh, we knew that the, the place had a swimming pool and soft play, so the kids could tire themselves out in the daytime. And we just thought it would be, be fantastic. We had these great hopes for it. But I'm sure you realize where the story's going. Things didn't end up the way that we, we'd maybe hoped that they would. The soft play area was about the size of our living room. The, uh, the swimming pool, when we took the boys in there, Simon just screamed the entire time. And the cozy chalet, well, when Rosie and I, let's just put it this way, when Rosie and I got into bed, it was so dipped that we ended up rolling into the middle and sleeping at such an angle that I'm not sure Rosie really got a lot of sleep at all. So the holiday wasn't what we had hoped for, and even though we'd only booked for three nights, we didn't even manage that. We left after two, and we came home disappointed. You know, sometimes the things that we put our hope in don't go the way that we think they will. Don't go the way that we plan for. They don't end up exactly as we wanted, and we end up disappointed. They don't match up to our expectations and we feel let down. We feel hurt. We don't understand. And you know, there was a point when that's exactly how people felt about Jesus. They'd put all of their hope in him. They thought he was the one who was going to change everything. He was going to be the one who would make all of the difference. He, he taught them these amazing things and he taught them a new way to live. He, he gave them this kind of completely revolutionized way that they could relate to God. He healed the sick. He spoke with authority. The people looked to him as the, the one who would change everything. The Messiah. The saviour, the one that they'd been waiting for. 
The one who they thought would set them free from Roman rule and establish them as a great nation. The one who was going to overthrow and, and get rid of this hypocrisy of the religious leaders and give them a new way to be able to relate to God. He would establish his kingdom. Their hope was that Jesus was going to be king and that everything was going to change because of it. That Jesus was exactly what they needed. And one night, Jesus takes some of his closest friends, some of his closest followers, to go with him and to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And something happens that none of them expected. Judas shows up with a small army to arrest Jesus. And to their shock, to their horror, to their dismay, Jesus just surrenders himself to them. I don't understand. What follows causes their whole world to unravel. Jesus is is led away and he faces false accusation after false accusation. The religious leaders are determined to find some reason, some excuse, some way in which they can justify executing him. Jesus is mocked and spat on and beaten. And ultimately, he's put to death by crucifixion. And as Jesus dies, their hope dies with him. And they're left simply with disappointment. But you see, the reason that the followers of Jesus at that time were disappointed is because they didn't understand what was really going on. They saw the death of Jesus through the lens of their own expectations. And that caused everything to be warped and out of focus. And it led them to the wrong conclusions. And so today, as we continue our series, Jesus in Focus... I want to try and make sure that that we don't have a warped understanding of Jesus that leads us to disappointment. I want to try and bring into focus for us the cross, to bring into focus for us Jesus' sacrifice for you and for me. Because you see, this this moment that, that seemed like failure was actually the moment of victory. This moment when the followers of Jesus felt hopeless became the moment which was the foundation for the hope of all mankind. This moment when they probably questioned where God was, how could he let this happen, was actually the moment when God was reaching out to them with his love in the greatest possible way. You know, and I think in many ways, God had done everything that he could to try and prepare them for this moment, to try and explain to them what was going to happen ahead of time, to help them to understand why and Jesus had to suffer and to, to die. You know, he spoke to them about it over 600 years earlier through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, he... With pinpoint accuracy, 
It's incredible that over 600 years earlier, with pinpoint accuracy, he describes in detail the way that Jesus would die. He describes in detail the kind of burial that he would have. He describes in detail the fact that he would be raised again to a new life and he would have an impact across the entire nations of the earth. And so this morning, as we, we look to try and bring into focus who Jesus is and what his death is all about and why it had to happen, even though it seems so hard to understand, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 52 and, and 53. And I think the reason that, that God inspired Isaiah to write these verses is because he wanted us to understand. He wanted us to know that the death of Jesus was not an accident. It was planned. It can seem like a tragedy. It can seem like a great injustice. It can seem like failure. But actually we discover that this was God's plan all along. That hundreds of years in advance, it was planned out in detail. This is no accident. This was the way that God intended things. That the cross of Jesus would be the means of rescue and hope. For every person. The cross of Jesus is not a source of of disappointment. It's the source of our greatest hope. So we're going to look at something that Isaiah writes. Something of what God inspired Isaiah to write. And rather than reading the verses, we're going to watch a video together. Or maybe just help to bring it to life and come to you in a fresh way. Why don't we watch this? Behold, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. 
Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Now this amazing passage, this description of everything that Jesus would go through, begins in Isaiah 52 verse 13. And some of your Bibles, they, they, you know, mine is NIV, and it starts with the word see. But other translations, I think, capture it better. And they use the word in the video, it starts with the word behold. Stop what you're doing. Pay attention, put down your pen, switch off your phones, wake up from your daydreams. Behold, there is something in this that you must see. There's something in this that you must get hold of. To understand and to appreciate what Jesus has done for you. And and as I read through these verses in Isaiah One of the things that grabs my attention, one of the things that I kind of behold and and, and just takes hold of me is the depiction of suffering which is there. You know, we regularly, we we talk about and we sing about how, how Jesus died for us. But I think so often it just becomes an idea. It becomes a concept that we understand, that we're so familiar with. And we lose sight of the reality of what Jesus went through. You know, most of us have heard the story since we were children. And because we first heard it when we were children, it was told to us in some kind of sanitized way. And so we have this sanitized understanding of what it is that Jesus went through. And we kind of keep hold of that sanitized understanding as we grow up and we become adults. And it's just the way that we understand it. But as adults, it's so important that we don't sanitize the death of Jesus. Because when we do, we miss something of the depth of what Jesus went through for each one of us. And I think these verses in Isaiah, they they capture something of the reality of Jesus' suffering. We read in Isaiah 52 verse 14 that there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. The suffering that Jesus went through took him to a place where he was seen more like a piece of meat than a person. He was disfigured beyond human likeness. And the word appalled here conjures up the the idea that the sight of Jesus causing you to want to be sick. That That if you'd witnessed the suffering that Jesus went through, you'd have had to turn your face away because you wouldn't have been able to stomach it. And I think three words in particular that Isaiah uses, that considering this is a prophecy over 600 years earlier to describe the events are just incredibly accurate. To describe the suffering that Jesus went through. He describes Jesus as one who is wounded, crushed, and pierced. Jesus was wounded. If we go back to wounded, Ben, please. And the word for wounds in Isaiah is often translated as stripes. 
And it's translated as stripes because the word which is actually there is specific to the wounds of a lashing or a flogging. As you can see in the, in the picture, Jesus would have had his, his hands bound above his head. And two Roman soldiers would have stood on either side of him with a cat of nine tails. A whip made of leather strands that had shards of bone and metal tied into it. And they would count as they struck him. Because even they had rules about how it was to be done because they understood how gruesome, how horrific, how torturous it was. And as they struck him, not only would it it tear into the flesh of his back, but it would wrap around his chest. Jesus was wounded. His body was covered with the stripes of lashing. And then he was crushed. Jesus was forced to carry the crushing weight of the cross. And we know from, from the, 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 the kind of accounts in the New Testament that this, after the flogging that he'd been through, after everything that he'd already been through, the weight of the cross was so crushing for him that he couldn't cope with it on his own. And that another had to come and to help him and to carry it for him. He was crushed. And then he was pierced. Isaiah predicts the moment when six-inch nails were smashed through his wrists and his ankles in order to pierce him and to pin him to the cross so that he could be lifted up to hang in excruciating pain before the crowd. And as we think of the crowds that were there, we realize that their suffering was more than just physical. As he hung there on the cross passes by, walking past him casually on their way to the shops or the market or whatever they were doing, shouted up at Jesus and they mocked him. They hurled insults at him. We read in Isaiah 53 verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. And so Isaiah says, behold, pay attention. Let it hit you. What Jesus went through, the unimaginable suffering for you and for me. Christ died for you. Christ died For me, pierced, crushed, wounded, rejected, despised. And he went through it all for us. And so often we don't like to think about what Jesus went through. It's unpleasant and we we kind of recoil from it. But actually, do you know... I think it can be helpful at times to meditate on the suffering of Jesus. As unpleasant as it might be. And you might sit there and think, well, why on earth would I want to take time to think about and focus on and meditate on something so horrific? But what I find is that as I focus on all that Jesus went through, 
to focus on all that he went through for me, it stirs my heart to want to live for him. It drives out from me complacency and sin and compromise. Because you see, there was nothing half-hearted about what Jesus did. Nothing half-hearted about what he did for you. And so as we bring the suffering of Jesus into focus, it stops us from being half-hearted in how we live our lives for him. It may not be something that you've thought of doing before, but the next time maybe you're facing temptation, the next time that you're at the crossroads of selfishness, and you've got this thing which is going on that you're wrestling with, take a moment to remember the suffering of Jesus. To picture Jesus on the cross in your mind's eye. All that he went through. As he died for you. And let that stir your heart to no longer live for yourself, but for him. You see, as horrific as the suffering and the torture and the mocking and the beating and the crucifixion of Jesus is. When we understand what he is doing, there is a beauty to it. And there is hope that we find in it. And for us to begin to kind of grasp the beauty of it, we first have to understand why it was needed. To understand our own sin and our own need for God. You know, we read in Isaiah 53 verse 6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And, you know, when the Bible compares us to sheep, it's never a compliment. You know, we think of sheep as these nice, cute, cuddly things. That's not what it is that the Bible means when it starts talking about sheep. They're willful Stupid animals that are disobedient and just want to go their own way. You know, if if a farmer prepares a field of good pasture for the sheep and he puts a, a fence around it and then he leads the sheep into it, what's the first thing that the sheep do? Yeah. They go around the edge of the the field, around the edge of the fencing, butting against it, trying to find a way that they can get out, and somehow convinced that the farmer's holding out on them. Somehow convinced that there's something better out there. Somehow convinced that he's wanting to spoil their fun. But when they get out of the good pasture, they very quickly find themselves in terrible trouble. Because as sheep wander off and get lost, they don't have the brains or the ability to find their way back again. They have to be rescued. They have to be saved. (coughs) And so when we look at the cross, we are reminded of the things that have gone wrong in the human heart. We're reminded of the things that have gone wrong in our own heart. That we all, like sheep, have gone astray. That we, each one of us, turn to our own way. There is something in us that if we allow it to, wants to butt against that fence because we think somehow God's holding out on us. That there's something better out there that we know best. And in the face of our rebellion, in in the face of us rejecting God and wanting to go our own way and thinking we know best, Isaiah says that God laid on him 
the iniquity of us all. And what's going on here is that Jesus becomes our substitute. If you think of a football match where they make substitutions, you know, a a player comes off of the bench and takes the place of the player who is on the pitch. And the other one gets to come off of the pitch and take the place of the guy who was on the bench. Jesus comes in and he takes our place. He takes our position of having rejected God and gone our own way and turned against him so that we are able to take his position of being right with God. Imagine the life of Jesus represented by this purity. Jesus is wholly good. He is righteous. He is perfect. And it's as if on the cross, Jesus is stripped naked of all of his righteousness. It's taken from him. And then imagine, on the other hand, our lives represented by this darkness. The darkness shows the sin in our lives. It shows the mess that we make. It shows how like sheep in our hearts, we want to go our own way. And here's what's happening on the cross. The Lord has laid on him, laid on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He's laid on Jesus, all of of our sin. In this moment, Jesus is our substitute. He takes our place. He dies for our sin, for every willful act of disobedience we've ever done, for every moment without thinking about it. We failed to do the right thing. Without ever intending to, we've made a mess of something or we've hurt somebody or we've made a mistake. Jesus, in this moment on the cross, he takes all of our sin and our punishment so that we can be free from it. He takes all of the bad stuff. But the amazing thing about the cross, the amazing thing about the substitution is that he doesn't stop there because that's only half a substitution. That's only half of an exchange. In place of our bad stuff, he gives us all of his good stuff. The white, pure goodness and righteousness and perfection of Jesus is placed on us. Jesus is the Son of God and so through him we become sons and daughters of God. Jesus is righteous and so we get to become righteous. Jesus is blessed so we get to become blessed. And the way that Isaiah talks about it, it's a great picture for for me as a bloke. He talks about Isaiah 53 verse 12 and it's like this warrior going out to battle. He says, he will divide the spoils with the many. And the picture is, is this warrior who goes out to battle and wins a great victory. And through that victory, he gets all of the spoils. He gets all of the wealth, all of the treasure, all of the things that used to belong to the people that he defeated. And then he brings these spoils. He brings this wealth and he shares it with his people. And the amazing message of the cross is that not only in Jesus do we get to be forgiven. That the wrong things that we've done, the sin in our lives is is dealt with. But because of Jesus... We have been declared right with God. We get to share in the spoils and the wealth of Jesus' victory. 
He takes all of our bad stuff and he gives us his good stuff. And so God looks at us and he doesn't see someone who is, is clothed in darkness and sinful and messy and broken. He doesn't even see somebody who's just naked and kind of neutral and just nothingness. He looks at us and he sees the beauty and the purity and the goodness and the perfection and the righteousness of Jesus. We don't have to spend our lives trying to be good enough and wondering if at the end of it all God's going to accept us or not. When we put our trust in Jesus and we accept what he has done for us, God sees us as pure and blameless. He declares us. He declares a verdict. It's already been done. It's been said. It's been declared. That verdict is given that we're right with him. That we're accepted. That we have relationship with him. Not only now, but for all eternity. Isn't that amazing? And so even in the face of the horror of the cross, what Jesus accomplishes here is beautiful. And, and you know, as, as I look at, at the cross and all that Jesus suffered and all the different things that he, he went through and all that he achieved... You know, it helps me to always keep in the forefront of my mind and to remember two things. It helps me to remember how lost I am without Jesus. It helps me to remember how loved I am because of Jesus. You know, the cross speaks to us about how lost we are. And if you're sat here and you feel like, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I compare myself to other people and, you know, I'm, get, I'm doing all right. I don't make all these messes and all that kind of stuff. What I've done is not that bad. But if you want to know how serious your sin is and your wrongdoing is and what it deserves and the consequences of it, then just look at the suffering of Jesus. Because in this moment, he's our substitute. He's taking our place. He's in our shoes. He's getting what we deserved. And the fact that Jesus needed to do this in order for us to be forgiven shows us how serious our sin is. That the only answer, the only solution, the only way for us to be washed clean, the only way for us to be forgiven and set free from sin was through the sacrifice of Jesus. But it's so beautiful, the cross, because it also helps me to remember how loved I am. The fact that Jesus was willing to go through what he went through. That no one forced him to, that he chose it. He chose to go through so much suffering for you. That shows us how loved we are. He freely chose to die in your place. Because that's how much he loves you. No matter what you may think of yourself, no matter what other people might have said over you or said about you, this is how valuable and precious you are. You are of such great value. You are so special 
that you were worth dying for. God's love for you is amazing. But today, my heart is, and what I want to invite you to, is not just to learn about and to understand what Jesus has done for you, but to experience it, to know it in your heart, to experience it for yourself to experience it for the first time or to experience it in a fresh and a deeper way. To come to Jesus and to say, take all of my bad stuff. Take it all off of me so that I can have all of your good stuff. Clothe me in your goodness and perfection, your beauty, your purity. See, this is a moment that we've got to keep coming back to. This is a moment that we can never afford to lose sight of. And we need to remind ourselves that we are right with God, not through our own efforts, but through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection. And when we get this, it sets us free in an amazing way. When this isn't just something that we understand, but we begin to experience it and to know it in our heart. It sets us free from that sense of, of striving, of us trying to be good enough and needing to tick all the boxes and do the right things and match up to expectations. It sets us free from fear and from anxiety and from a sense of insecurity and, and needing to ensure that we please people and that we get it right. Wondering if... We're accepted because we know we're accepted by God. You can be freed from guilt, freed from feeling judged, freed from being afraid that you're not good enough, not through anything that you do because you've suddenly managed to match up to things, but because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice, because of what he did on the cross and how we discover there God's amazing love for us. And Isaiah talks about how this is something not just that we get to learn about and we, that we need to believe, but it's something that we can experience. That there's this transforming and healing work that God wants to do in our lives, here and now. In Isaiah 53, verse 44 and 5, we read this. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And with his stripes or by his wounds... We are healed. What I love in this is that Isaiah, in just a few short verses, captures the fact that salvation in Jesus is not just about our forgiveness and being made right with God, as so amazing as that is, and as essential that is, and how important that is for everything else. That the salvation that is available in Jesus is whole, complete salvation for every single part of who we are. That Jesus took up our infirmities, our physical sicknesses. He carried our sorrows, our emotional pains and hurts. You know, maybe you've been carrying a pain of being let down. We talked earlier about disappointment. Maybe you've been carrying the pain of being let down. You know, today because of Jesus, you don't have to live in the wounds of disappointment. Maybe you've been carrying the hurt of insensitive words and you feel angry about what people have said or what they've done. 
you know, today, because of Jesus, you don't have to live in the wounds of offense. There is healing for relationships, healing for our hearts, healing for our minds, even healing for our bodies. And I don't understand, as we talked about earlier on, I don't understand everything to do with the way that God chooses to work when it comes to to healing. But I do know that we have an amazing God who loves us and who cares for us and who heals today. You know, we're going to come to to communion in a moment. And when we do, the band are going to lead us in a beautiful song. It starts with the words, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. And then one of the verses says, He took my sins and my sorrows and made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And the key here is that Jesus takes not just our sins, but also our sorrows. So today, let me just encourage you, whatever you were going through, however long you've been going through it, to look to Jesus again, to hope in him, to let him be the one who who carries your grief, who carries your sorrow, who brings your healing. One last thought before we come to communion. Isaiah 53, verse 11, I love this. It just hits home in terms of the love of God for us in an amazing way. It says, after he has suffered, that is, after Jesus has been flogged and beaten and mocked and crucified, after he's suffered and died, he will see the light of life. That is, he's died and then he will see the light of life. After he's died, he will be raised again to a new life. Death won't defeat him. He'll have the victory. And then what? Isaiah writes, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Think about this for a moment. What could possibly be worth all of the suffering, the flogging, the crushing, and the piercing. Jesus comes through all of it and he says he's satisfied. He says it was worth it. Do you know the answer? You. And me. The only thing that Jesus got out of this, the only thing that he gained that he didn't have before he went through all of this suffering is you and me. So he looks you in the eyes and he says, I'm satisfied. If I had to do it all again for you, it's worth it. Isn't that amazing? That's the love that Jesus has for you. that he would see your greatest need and he would choose to act, to reach out to you in love, to do something about it, even though it costs him everything. The suffering, the pain, the flogging, the beating, the mocking, the crucifixion. And he says, for you, it was worth it all. So I can have relationship with you so you can be forgiven so I can get to spend eternity with you. It was worth it all.
so that you can have hope and know healing and freedom from your wounds. It was worth it all. So as we come to communion, I want to encourage you to to focus, to not hide from, but to focus on the sacrifice of Jesus. For it to help you to know just how lost you are without him. For it to help you to know how, just how loved you are because of him.